Hello, I'm Thomas Streeter. Welcome to another episode of the Climate Change Podcast Series. Today we have Lee Clements from FTSE Russell to talk about the green economy. This series is brought to you by the Climate Change Content Working Group at the CFA UK. So when I think about the stock market, uh, at least in the UK, FTSE is probably the most famous brand. So I'm very happy today to talk to you, Lee, about sustainable investing. Um, so I think maybe we could start. You recently wrote a report, Investing in the Green Economy, Sizing the Opportunity. Perhaps we could start by understanding what is the green economy and how big it is and why FTSE Russell is putting a lot of effort into this space. Thank you very much, uh, Thomas. Um, well, the green economy um, is defined as uh, the companies selling green products and services. So products and services um, that uh, address uh, specific environmental issues such as climate change mitigation, uh, water quality, uh, recycling of waste and so on. Uh, and that is an area which is becoming very important and very in focus within the broader environment of uh, sustainable investment. However, whilst there's a lot of focus on mobilizing that kind of climate finance in the direction of um, the green economy, a lot of people, due to lack of good concrete data and definitions, don't realize quite how big it is and quite what an investment opportunity it is. We, uh, with our Green Revenues uh, 2.0 product, uh, have identified more than 3,000 uh, global companies that are involved in the green economy and believe it represents uh, around uh, $4 trillion of market cap uh, and is equivalent to approximately uh, 5 to 6% of all global uh, listed equities. We're putting a lot of resource uh, into this because we think it's a, uh, a key area of addressing climate issues within the sustainable investment landscape. And actually, we've had products related to the green economy since 2008 with our environmental markets uh, family of indices. But there's also significantly growing client interest in this space as people are looking beyond the, um, um, the initial issues of excluding uh, risk areas like coal mining or oil and gas and looking more towards growth and opportunity areas like these areas of renewable energy or uh, electric vehicles and so on. And that is being further stimulated by regulations such as the EU Green Taxonomy or the TCFD regulations, which are, are putting requirements both on companies and investors to measure and disclose their exposure uh, to this area. Yeah, okay, great. I, I saw that uh, the London Stock Exchange had awarded some companies like SSC or Johnson Matthew the Green Economy Mark, and I think that comes from the uh, FTSE Russell Green Revenues, which you just mentioned. So can you just sort of give us a bit more information about the Green Revenue 2.0 classification system? Yeah, so we have built the Green Revenues 2.0 classification system on the basis of more than 10 years experience of looking at taxonomy of um, green products and services. Uh, so it sits upon a lot of experience of, of looking at activities in the market and is built upon 
uh, seven key environmental objectives of climate change mitigation, climate change adaptation, um, water, waste, pollution control, um, clean and efficient agriculture, and uh, biodiversity. We, we look at all those areas to look for products or services that can deliver environmental benefits around those. And from that, we've created a, uh, a broad taxonomy, which has it kind of disaggregates into um, 10 different uh, sectors. So things like renewable energy or green transportation, and actually down into a very detailed 133 different micro sectors where it goes into very specific things such as electric vehicle batteries or um, water, um, water desalination technologies and so on. And in terms of capturing the data, some of it is disclosed by companies, I understand, and obviously some is you have you have to estimate. So how, how, how do you go around estimating that? And what is the sort of current breakdown between company disclosed data and you know your own estimates? And, and do you think the task force for climate-related financial disclosures will actually help improve the quality of you know data uh, capturing in this area? And then you know, do you expect that you, you will need to estimate less data going forward after? TCFD becomes mandatory. Um, you, you hit upon one of the, the key issues with looking at this area, and that is the disclosure and access of good uh, quality, consistent data. And uh, whilst that is an issue across the, the breadth of the sustainable investment spectrum, it's particularly an, an issue in newer areas such as um, kind of green revenues and the green economy. Um, over the, um, the, the scope of our green revenues data, there's only approximately 20% that is directly disclosed in terms of we can identify the percentage of the revenues directly coming from those green products and services. It's, it's normally not too difficult to, um, to identify the green products and services, but matching that up to a specific revenue percentage is the challenge. From publicly disclosed documents, that's about 20% of um, our, our defined um, green revenues universe. We then directly engage with all of the companies to uh, try to procure more data, uh, and that increases the percentage to just under 30% um, is backed by uh, direct disclosure um, from the companies. Uh, you're then left with a very large gap um, uh, to, to fill uh, there, and we take a two-step approach to this. We look for additional indicators, which we can use to estimate the uh, percentage of green products and services, uh, or percentage of revenue of green products and services, I should say. So an example might be um, uh, auto manufacturers often don't disclose their percentage of revenue from electric vehicles but will disclose the number of electric vehicles out of their total sales. So you can create a proportion there. Um, we look at some uh, kind of uh, industrial equipment manufacturers who disclose uh, what percentage of their units uh, adhere to certain energy efficiency standards. So we'll use that kind of data there. So we apply some of those operational standards uh, or operational indicators and use them to derive a percentage uh, there. For those companies where there isn't those additional indicators, 
um, uh, or additional data we can work on. We then have a final stage, which is a model uh, which uh, takes all the data that we have around the degree of green revenues within um, industrial subsectors uh, and then um, uses that in conjunction with the maximum and minimum possible green revenues we've identified for the company to say um, what, where would they be if they are at the average for their subsectors and then we take a haircut to that number um, based upon uh, how well disclosed the green revenue activity is for that subsector. It's slightly complicated, but um, uh, it, it's similar to the approaches that are used for estimating things like carbon emissions, where they aren't disclosed by, by companies. Right, so a lot of number crunching going on. So um, that's great. So in terms of the actual green revenues as a, as a factor, is there any relationship to other sort of traditional factors like size, value, momentum, quality? And, and do you think the green revenue data set will become a factor itself? And, and you know, is it being incorporated into sort of green smart beta funds? Um, interesting question. I mean, there are definitely some things like there is a small cap bias. We do include green revenues uh, as a factor in some of our indices, but not so much as a as an as a normal factor, but when we are building, uh, in particular, our smart sustainability index, we can we we turn all of our um, our green data effectively into factors, and then we we put them together in a multi-factor index. So smart sustainability includes carbon emissions and um, and green revenues as a tilt factor alongside more traditional metrics such as quality um, uh, and uh, and value. In terms of where, um, where it is versus other factors, um, I think that you will probably see some level of correlation to things like momentum, given the fact that this sector has seen quite a lot of performance um, over recent years. Uh, but we're still in the early days of working with this data. So I think it would be dangerous to say that there are any kind of definitive relationships between traditional factors and green revenues that will necessarily live through um, investment cycles. Right, yeah, so still early days. And yeah. let's say let's say a pension fund wanted to tilt away from, for example, you know, FTSE 100. So they, they could use all of these different factors to actually achieve, achieve a, a climate positive tilt? Yes, uh, a lot of uh, investors that we speak to want to take a standard index like say a, a FTSE 100 or, or a big global index and apply various tilts to it in the same way as you might for a traditional smart beta index if you want to tilt more towards quality or momentum. In particular, if they're looking at climate, what um, they tend to look at are multi-factor tilts, in particular, um, away from fossil fuel-related uh, companies, um, in some cases with an exclusion, and also towards companies with lower carbon emissions within their industry. So they'll look at uh, all of the, say, auto manufacturers within uh, or industrial companies within the index, and then will tilt towards the ones with the lowest carbon intensity, so carbon emissions per 
per unit of uh, revenue. Uh, uh, and then they'll also have a tilt towards companies with a higher green revenues uh, factor within them. Um, but as we work with clients, there are multiple ways in which you can combine these different SI uh, factors together um, to create different outcomes uh, and also how strongly you apply those tilts, which will have a, a tracking error impact. Right. Okay. And you mentioned there's there would be maybe a small cap bias. So does that mean that there might be lower liquidity in, in terms of stocks with a green revenue, a high green revenue score? Um, it, it all depends on how you want to implement it, um, at, because what there what there isn't is necessarily this is a green revenue stock. This isn't a green revenue stock. What it is is it, all the companies that have got green revenues, they will have a certain percentage of green revenue. So essentially to create that, um, what you need to do is to put in place a threshold where if you only want, you either tilt on the basis of the, the quantum of green revenues, or you put in place a threshold saying, I only want to look at companies with more than 20% of green revenues or more than 50% of green revenues. And uh, the small the, the the higher the percentage of revenue green revenues you go to um typically the lower the liquidity um and the smaller cap you tend to get although something like tesla is an example of something that's really quite large cap now and is 100% green revenue so that's the uh, uh, the difference within that in terms of liquidity of green holdings um Green companies aren't necessarily uh, going to be less liquid than other companies, other than the fact that they're ten, you know, some of them tend to be smaller. What you may find, and we're still in the early days of knowing this, is given the, the, the rapid and growing focus on um, green companies, uh, you can sometimes... Um, have a lot of investor enthusiasm for them, which can dry up the uh, liquidity. Uh, we have seen that in the green bond market, where issued green bonds tend to be quite a liquid because people buy them up and then um, there's less of a secondary market uh, for them. You may start to see that within certain kind of green bellwether stocks, but it's still early days. Oh, that's, that's quite interesting. Okay, and in terms of... Um index investors or passive investors, you know, every month I can see the details from FTSE All World or FTSE All Share. Is, is there an, a green equivalent index, you know, a benchmark index, which I can just see to quickly gauge the performance of green equity markets? The, the, the best things to look at, they don't necessarily exactly match up to the All World or the All Share, are the environmental markets family of indices. So those are... Um, are using a threshold approach to uh, focus down upon those companies that are very involved in um, the green green products and services. And there is a whole family of them from the FTSE EOS, we call it the Environmental Opportunities All Share Index, um, which looks at a very broad starting universe of global stocks, actually slightly broader than the FTSE All World, um, but only takes companies... Um, that have 20% or more exposure to green revenues. 
which cuts the um, cuts it down to about six or seven percent of um, the the starting universe. Um, that's probably the broadest bellwether of the the green economy, and and, and that has performed very well over the last uh, five years. There are then various cuts of that family looking at um, North America, looking at UK, there's a UK AIM one, um, and also looking at some other cuts of things like only focusing on renewable energy or only focusing on energy efficiency or only focusing on water. So there are various cuts there. Those are, are good examples of things that you can use to, to measure the performance of green equity markets. Some of the other indices that we have, so for instance, X series, or the smart sustainability series we have, those are specifically designed for clients to increase the sustainability characteristics or the climate characteristics whilst uh, minimizing the tracking error to conventional markets. So some people look at those and say, why is um, the climate market tracking so closely to the general equity market? And that's because that product is designed to do that whereas the environmental markets is designed to be a snapshot of those green companies. Okay, very good. Thanks, thanks for the clarity. And in terms of active investing, what, what type of active strategies you know, could we use in, in green economy space and how can we find alpha in the green economy? Yes, kind of very good question. And, and that's something that I did for, uh, for a number of years as an active green economy uh, portfolio manager. And there are a number of these uh, green thematic funds being launched at the moment. Uh, and there's a number of ways that you can use the green revenue data within there. Uh, the first thing you need to do is effectively define your, your universe. So uh, typically what they'll do is um, within the, the you know, let's say global equities, they will use a data source to say, and these are the companies we consider to be part of the green economy setting some kind of threshold of 20% or 50% of revenues and so on. And that is going to become more regulated now uh, because uh, the EU taxonomy process. So uh, within the European Union, there is a process of defining what is green rather than the investor defining what is green. The UK are likely to uh, follow with their own a taxonomy and we're actively working with them so that you can use the green revenues data to uh, be compliant with those uh, definitions of of green um, so, so it's very important to kind of define what the thresholds of your investment universe are um, but then when you are kind of actively investing trying to find alpha um, you know there there are a number of different ways you can use this data uh, and there are different characteristics amongst different areas of the green economy. Some areas are very momentum driven. Some of the renewable energy areas can be driven by uh, subsidy regimes. They can be um, very kind of high momentum plays. Some of the areas such as water or, or um, pollution control can be much more uh, steady, solid return type businesses, the, the water utilities, some of the, the regulatory compliance type pollution companies. Um, and you can get some other areas that are linked to things like commodity prices. So the recycling sector can, of, can often have very strong links to commodity prices. 
And there are some quite strong thematic elements running through them. So electric vehicles, batteries and so on um, can be very heavily influenced by the nature of the cycle within the different parts of the business. Um, and as such, it's important to be able to identify which companies and which parts of your universe are linked to those different kind of sub-themes within the green economy, for want of a better word, and how they are likely to, um, to respond to different things that are going on in the, the, the rapidly changing world of um, kind of green and sustainable investment and green and sustainable regulations. Um, you know, and that's a, that's a whole other layer that you need to look at before looking at the, uh, the specific stocks there. Okay, great. So because I think a lot, a lot of people would just think the whole sector is one big momentum play, but what you're really saying is actually there's quite a lot of dispersion between different subsectors in, in the green economy universe. I think there is a lot of momentum in it. Well, there's a lot of positive momentum in it at the, at the moment, and I think that that is reflective of... Um, of the focus that there is uh, on this space at the moment. Um, but to be honest, that hasn't really changed. You know, I, I've been investing in this industry uh, for a long time, and we saw a, uh, a considerable pre-2000 uh, level of excitement about this, which crashed down. And then there was a lot of positive uh, momentum uh, before the uh, global financial crisis. And then we've seen various pieces of uh, momentum in sub-elements of this around electric vehicles was very strong and then it crashed and now post VW and with Tesla it's strong again there were you know various sub-things driving a biofuels boom a superconducting boom and so on you know any of these areas can uh, can see a lot of momentum and bubbles um, but what you need to do within this space is really understand both the companies and the areas they're playing in and have a good idea of um, the, the state of that, uh, that cycle uh, and, and what you're really getting into. I think one of the things that people don't really appreciate about the green economy, certainly in the way that the we define it or these broader things like the EU taxonomy define it, is it, it's actually quite diverse um, within there. So most people look at it and think, you know, only solar companies and renewable energy companies, which would be, you know, quite a tight thing to, um, to, to actively manage within because that kind of market either goes, they all go up or they, they all go down. But active, you know, actually you've got, you've got solar companies on one side, you've got instrumentation manufacturers who measure air pollutants who might have a side business in healthcare you've got water utilities who are a very steady income generating with some quite good inflation protection uh, on their earning streams you've got the likes of the tesla who capture public imagination and, and go through the roof you've got some very, you know relatively dirty boring businesses within uh, the recycling industry so so you've actually got the ability to build quite a nice, broad, diversified portfolio um, if you go about it in, in the right way and you have the information to be able to identify and you know, mine into that rich universe. Great. So there, so there really is both cyclical and defensive stocks. Not, it's, not just, it's not just cyclical, which, which many people might have thought. 
absolutely. I mean, we used to, uh, when I was an active portfolio manager, we would actively tag all of our companies with um, uh, defensive, early cyclical, late cyclical, and some other special characteristics. And we used to match them with various macro characteristics as well as things that are exposed to the green economy um, so that we could manage our portfolios to adjust for what was happening in the broader market as well as the green specific um, considerations. Oh, that's really interesting. And just finally, do you think that a better awareness of green economy investing can help green companies reduce their cost of capital and also help increase the amount of capex into sort of for green projects in, in, in the economy? Absolutely. And, you know, that is the driving force behind a lot of the new regulations which are underpinning things like TCFD, but also the EU sustainable investment growth uh, plans. The idea is with more um, definition and exposure, uh, the green economy, green companies will see uh, more an easier ability to capital raise and an ability to reduce their cost of capital. I mean, we see that as well as what you mentioned up front about the green economy mark uh, on the stock exchange. Um, companies are actively out there looking for recognition of their green credentials because it is helping them within the capital raising process. And then beyond equities, you know, we, we've been talking very much about equities and raising money for um uh, for the for, for for companies, these kind of definitions of the green economy move into the bond space with green bonds, where they're raising uh, raising fixed income for uh, you know in many cases you know large capex uh, projects, um, and there is uh, there are you know plans particularly within the EU, of rolling some of these out into green loans and so on, which will, again, further enhance the ability to um, raise capex for these type of uh, kind of broader projects in the economy. Great. Thanks, Lee. We'll definitely have to get you back to talk about green fixed income at some point. So thanks for listening. And please remember to check out CFA UK's other In Conversation podcasts on SoundCloud and all the various platforms. Mm -hmm.